At times, we may hear stories which seem too incredible to be true. Urban legends have been around a long time, and so have other myths we believe, including some old sayings. But are these tales and superstitions harmful to us? We're no better than the evolutionists if we're going out promoting myths and things that can't be proven and can't be documented. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Urban legends, commonly believed myths, and superstitions. Why do these seem so real to us? And how can we know when a story is the truth or a lie? Join us for the next 15 minutes as we get a glimpse of some of these myths we believe and learn what we can do to counter them. We'll be looking at some popular urban legends, common scientific errors, and superstitions. ICR seminar speaker Frank Sherwin pinpoints how to identify an urban legend. People describe these urban legends as a real event that occurred to perhaps a friend of a friend, somebody that it happened to that you can't quite contact that individual to find out if it happened or not. Christian urban legends cover much of the country by way of the processes I just described. And like a bad penny, these urban legends keep showing up. For example, the infamous missing day of Joshua that NASA computers supposedly found. That's been around for over three decades. What we're talking about is an important battle that Joshua, by God's hand, was winning, but needed more time to complete the victory. We read in Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 and 13b, Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of all Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hasted not to go down about a whole day. Dr. Thomas Kindle is founder and president of Reasons for Faith Ministries in Eagle Point, Oregon. He says nothing is too hard for God. Some people apparently thought that we needed to have some scientific corroboration for that miracle. And so this track has been out for quite a while, uh, even put out by otherwise reputable track societies, that basically said, well, NASA, when they were checking back with their computers back and forth through time for the space program, they discovered that there was nearly a full day of time missing. And uh, supposedly somebody there... Uh, who was an engineer with NASA, said, well, you know, I remember the Bible talks about the day of time being lost at the time of Joshua. And so they looked it up, and oh my goodness, there it was. And and then they supposedly looked through it and said, yeah, but, but there's more than that. It's only most of the day. We need a full day missing. And so then they supposedly, this fellow said, well, I remember there was another time uh, where Isaiah, you know, asked uh, the king of Israel if he wanted a sign from God, and he said he wanted the shadow of the chronometers they used back then, a sundial, to go backwards instead of forwards, about uh, you know a, a small portion. And so supposedly that, together with Joshua's long day, made up the difference. Unfortunately, this was not the case. The problem is, of course, that NASA totally disavows any situation like that having ever happened. So it's, it's a myth, uh, not only because it didn't happen, but because it's literally not scientifically, not logistically possible to even figure that out, even if you wanted to. Another Christian urban legend parallels the true account of Jonah, Frank Sherwin. Christian urban legends almost always sound convincing and quite remarkable in their content. But like all urban legends, they never happened or they've been highly embellished, such as James Bartley aboard the Star of the East. 
Now, there was a sailor by the name of James Bartley, and he was on board the 19th century steamer called the Star of the East. However, the story goes on to say that he somehow fell overboard or he jumped overboard. Somehow, he got swallowed by a large whale. And, convincingly, three days later, the whale was discovered, it was killed, and as they were preparing the whale, they found a human foot that was attached to a leg that belonged to none other than James Bartley. He was alive, and he recovered in the captain's cabin with bleached skin and most of his hair missing. He would go through stages and days of derangement until finally he was himself once again. A nice story, but it has absolutely no basis in fact. But why would people start such rumors? Perhaps some of these Christian urban legends are started by some well-meaning individuals that want to embellish a particular story in the Bible that would help people who are not believers to become more convinced of the validity of scriptures. Of course, there's an old saying to that, what you win a person with is what you win them to. And if you win a person to Christ using embellished modern-day examples of Bible stories, that, of course, does not help because it's simply a lie. And you don't want to win a person to Christ using an embellished story that never really happened. What happens if that individual later finds out that that story was not real? I have a suspicion that they wouldn't be too happy at all. Dr. Kendall says these urban legends make Christians look bad. It's an unfortunate thing that things like this get disseminated uh, because, in essence, uh, we're no better than the evolutionists if we're going out promoting myths and things that can't be proven and can't be documented. Frank Sherwin. These urban legends, however they start, certainly don't help the cause of Christ. They hinder it, and for that reason, we should be very vigilant as to these stories and help to dispel them if they are simply not true. But we find that Christians aren't the only ones who spread these lies. Years ago, back in the late 80s to early 90s, there was a story that was started by a Scandinavian secular group that wanted to reveal to the world the gullibility of the Christian community. Unfortunately, they were quite successful. They started a story about some drillers in northern latitude that began drilling an incredibly deep hole. Now in the Soviet Union they have indeed dug what is called a super hole that goes down an incredible depth. However, this story that these Scandinavian authors began talked about how a microphone was lowered down into this hole to listen for the shifting of the Earth's crust. What they heard instead was allegedly the screams of the tormented souls in the infernal regions. Remarkably, some Christians are still being deceived by this unbelievable story, just as they were in the past. This, of course, is nothing more than a classic urban legend, and unfortunately, many, many Christians were taken in line, hook, and sinker as to this classic urban legend, and has later been shown to be nothing more than a myth, but not before it caused a lot of damage. But is there a way to really know if something we hear is fact or fiction? The way the Christian can identify these urban legends is to simply use one of the many search engines that we now have on the Internet and type in some of the key words. There are a number now of websites that help to identify some of the more popular urban legends. So when you receive an email with one of these fantastic stories that are remarkable and convincing, just use a search engine, type in some of the key words, 
and immediately you can find out through these various urban legend websites, is the story true or not. Of course, Christian-type urban legends aren't the only myths in society. For example, there are several commonly held scientific beliefs and modern sayings that just aren't true. Darren Grant is a high school science teacher in Girard, Kansas, and a graduate of ICR. Most of you have heard about heat. Well, heat rises. Well, that's not exactly true. If the air above the air that's being heated is cooler and more dense, the hot air will rise above the cooler air that's above it. So, for instance, if you have a radiator in your house, it's heating up air in a localized area. That air is expanding and getting less dense, and it's floating up above the cooler air that's around it. Well, what about oil and water? It's a well-known saying that those two ingredients don't mix. Would you please check the ingredients on many things you have in your household? For instance, hand lotion. Check the first two or three ingredients. Two of the three will be either mineral oil or glycerin, which is another type of oil, and water. Mayonnaise is a mixture of oil and water. Other things like margarine you put on your toast. Look at the first two ingredients, vegetable oil and water. So there are many things that we see every day, and if you'd like to prove it to yourself, just start reading some labels around the house. Things that are oily or greasy, like hand lotion or mayonnaise or margarine, are almost always mixtures of oil and water. Scientists even have a special name for these things. They call them emulsions or uh, colloidal suspensions. Anyway, oil and water mix very well if you mix them properly. Another commonly held belief is what goes up must come down. In most cases, that's true. But if you get something going up with enough force and velocity, it reaches what's called escape velocity and leaves the effects of Earth's gravity, so to speak. There are hundreds of satellites orbiting the Earth right now. All of them went up. And some people would argue, yes, but someday they'll come down. But there are many things we've shot into deep space, well, as far as past Jupiter and so forth, and one day they'll reach beyond Pluto and just keep continuing to go, and those will never come back down. Perhaps the most popular type of myth we believe in is everyday superstitions. Dr. Kindle. You know, lucky seven, and, uh, well, I've got a special lucky number, and this is going to help me out, or they have little... Uh, medals or talismans or rabbit's feet or rituals that they go through uh, before, you know, a football game or whatever. <laughs> to me, it's a sad thing that people do this at all. In fact, I really need to read the definition of superstition out of the uh, Collegiate Dictionary. It's very interesting. Uh, the first definition is a belief or practice resulting from ignorance, fear of the unknown, trust in magic or chance or a false conception of causation. And another definition it gives is a notion maintained despite evidence to the contrary. And I think those are some excellent definitions of what superstition is. What about believers who may be caught up in some form of superstition? The most tragic thing of all is that Christians who profess to believe in the all-powerful Creator God and Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that they would put their faith in things that really are irrational and they really are based on ignorance and, and foolishness. We might understand how the world might do that, but it, it surely has no place in uh, the Church of Christ and among the people of God. How would a Christian break away from superstitions that may have been handed down from generation to generation? The answer is, of course, the Word of God. 
we don't live our lives according to our own philosophy, our own beliefs, our own family traditions. We submit to God. In fact, that is what it's all about. The Bible says that our turning to Christ and putting faith in his sacrifice is described as the obedience of faith. And the real question is, are you going to be obedient or disobedient? Jesus himself said, no man can serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other or cling to one and despise the other, but you can't have two masters. You can't have two different powers that you're trusting in. You either trust in the truth and reality and power of God and trust his word implicitly, or you're trusting in another master. As Christians, we need to make a clear choice. We have to really assess, uh, you know, if we're really going to call ourselves Christians, aren't we really being hypocritical if we're trusting in rituals and superstitions and even family traditions that are contrary to Scripture? And whenever we compare any of our rituals or superstitions or whatever with the clear teaching of the Word of God, it's clear that it doesn't stand up. And the Bible says there is no substitute for repentance. You simply turn from it and turn to and follow the truth. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.